Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. I preached a message very similar last Sunday at City Point Carondale. This message is so close to my heart in this outsider's theme. And so I've got a bit of a a remix and remake on it tonight for you all. And so I pray that God does really speak to you in your season tonight on it. And so the message title tonight is, Where Do I Fit In? Where do I fit in? It feels good to fit in, hey. I like fitting in. I'd say the majority of the room here would prefer to fit in than not fit in. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a conversation or a circle where you've recognized that you're the only person in that conversation who doesn't fit into the topic of conversation. Does that make sense? <laughs> I found myself in one of these conversations not too long ago where I was with a bunch of tradies, like the tradies of tradies. And I've got I to say right from the very beginning, I'm not much of a handyman. Like I'm not really much of a tradie type kind of guy, and I was in a conversation with all these tradies in our church, and uh, they were all talking about their tools, and their trucks, and their fit-outs, and their cabinets, and all these things, and I'm standing there going, I don't really care, Um, and I have no idea what they're talking about, so I just left, I left the conversation, they had no idea that I left. It actually almost happens with this topic of conversation around the trade industry and building and, and whatnot. It actually happens in my wife April's family a lot of the time too, where a lot of the men in her family happen to be like handymen. Like they love to like build things and, um, and a couple of them work in the trade industry. And I was over at their house one time and they were building this like low rope tree course uh, for their foster kids out in the backyard. And April's dad turns to me and she go- he goes, hey Caleb, can you like pass me? Uh, the ratchet there, and, and can you uh, tie this, like, like Elridge knot to the base of the tree over here? And I'm standing there going, man, I've got no idea. Actually, I probably didn't say man. I was probably like, sir, like, I love you. Lo- love your daughter. Thank you for letting me marry her. But I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. I don't know how to tie an Elridge knot. I've never heard of that knot in my life. Like, I didn't do Boy Scouts. Like, I was doing other things. Like, you know how there's some guys who know how to tie every knot under the sun? Like, I, that wasn't me. I wasn't that type of guy. And so... I get like these judgmental glares from my father-in-law who probably thinks I'm the, you know, the son-in-law who, who can't do anything, can't fix anything, can't build anything, can't tie any knots. It sucks. I didn't fit in. I, you know, so those conversations, I, I didn't fit in sometimes in those conversations. And actually, it was really funny. One time for my birthday, uh, April's parents bought me like this little red toolkit because I know I don't own any tools. <laughs> <laughs> It's not much, but you know, it's, it's pretty much lying the same place it was when it was given to me. Haven't touched it at all, but it's cool to say that I own some tools. But beside the point, I feel confident. You know, I, I'm secure. I've got other things going for me. But the reason I say that is it doesn't feel good feeling like an outsider. It doesn't feel good feeling like you don't fit in sometimes. Hey, and the reality is in this world that we live in, to be a follower of Jesus and a Bible-believing Christian, sometimes we can walk out these doors and feel like we don't fit in, hey? Maybe in your workplace, your university, your sporting team. Maybe there's moments you've already experienced where you feel uncomfortable about some of the actions people are taking or topics of conversations. Maybe that doesn't feel right with you. And I want to say that's okay. Okay? That's okay. What I want to talk to you guys tonight about is how do we balance this line of being in the world, 
but also being marked as a true follower of Jesus. Because the Bible says we're in the world, hey, and we're not of the world. And if that's the first time you're hearing that tonight, it's a bit of an odd thing to hear. Hey, I remember when I first heard it, like, I was like, okay, so God, where do I fit into the equation that I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world? Where do I fit in? Our mission statement here, if you guys have been coming here for a little bit, you'd know that it is to unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. We believe that we are called to influence society, that we have every right to stand on, on what we believe, to stand on the Word of God, to lead culture, to, to pioneer, to make a difference in society. Hey, but something we need to be aware of is this thing called cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is this thing where we can often get so close to the line of worldly success that it can often mean we can come close to compromising our values or our faith. And if not compromising our values, we can very often dilute Jesus as the hero of our story and our success. Cultural Christianity, it's a very real thing the enemy loves to use to take out Christians in their faith and their future ahead. Are you hearing me? And so we're going to learn from a man named Solomon in the Bible tonight, okay? We're going to see how his story plays out. And has anyone, anyone read One Kings before? Do you guys like One Kings? I love the book of Kings. There's so much gold in here. And so we're going to pull up One Kings 3, verse 5. Hopefully it's on the screens behind me. It says this. It says, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great love and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I'll give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. I'll also give you what you didn't ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Huge passage, massive night for Solomon, hey. He's just been told, you're going to attain wisdom. You're going to live a long life, riches, fame, man. It's all, it's all for you. You're going to be one of the greatest and wisest kings Israel's ever seen. It's huge. So let's, let's compile the facts here before we really get into the meat of this. We see here that David dies, okay? So David and Goliath, David. Solomon takes the throne here, okay? Solomon is young, and, he, and he's humbled that God chose him. And so God says, what do you want? What do you want from me? And so he says, I want, I want discernment. I want wisdom in knowing how to lead your people well. Beautiful, right? What happens here? God gives him wisdom. Next few chapters, we actually see that God blesses him. And we see that he's super successful. He eliminates all threats to the throne. He builds uh, the temple of God, which David always wanted to build. He builds a huge army, becoming one of the wisest and richest kings Israel has ever seen. King Solomon did great things. Great things. He was on fire until... The corrupt society and world started to cave in around him, causing him to question where his loyalties in God really lied. We're going to see here in, in this next chapter that Solomon 
His love and lust for women became a real problem, a real issue, and placed him in a very tricky spot. 1 Kings 11, we're going to go to now, okay? So what we, this is seven chapters later from 1 Kings 3, and we see that God's used Solomon in powerful ways in leading the nation of Israel, okay? And so we're here now. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. I love how it starts off straight away. Another translation actually says that he was obsessed. Side note here, the enemy loves to try and use our obsessions and our idols and our weaknesses sometimes to target us and to take us away from the path God has us on. Hey, Verse 2, besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. I should say, very different day that they lived in here, okay? It wasn't uncommon for a king to have many wives. Some of you guys are out here like, man, I'm just looking for one wife. That's my guy down the front here. <laughs> Verse 4, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Real bummer here for Solomon. Hey, I can see here that it all went wrong for Solomon when he accepted this alliance and this deal with Pharaoh to marry his, his daughter, even when God said, hey, not a good idea. He did it anyway, and you know why he did it? Because it meant that him and Pharaoh were going to become boys. Yeah, yeah. See, see, back then, marrying a, a daughter or someone from another city, nation, or town actually built a mutual alliance and credibility between each other. And so you've got to understand how much credibility and power Solomon got here by marrying these other girls from these other cities and nations. And Solomon probably thought, you know, one foreign wife is fine. God, I'll be fine. I'll be able to manage. I'll be good. But he disobeyed God. He disobeyed good counsel. And these girls ended up luring him into idolatry, ultimately causing his ruin. He started to lose the plot. And ultimately, the spiritual decline and decay of Israel took place because he started conforming to culture and wanting to fit in with the towns, the surrounding regions, and the kings. He caved in. He sold out, didn't he? And he allowed the culture to change his inner faith life his loyalty to God, and obviously leading the nation of Israel. Guys, there's, there's so much we could unpack here. I could talk to you about it being equally yoked. I could talk to you about your, the importance of preserving your inner faith life, all these things. What I want you to catch tonight is that King Solomon, he was originally an outsider who had been brought into the palace with a task from God to lead the people of Israel to godliness, but he was at war. He was at war against a corrupt, pagan, ungodly, materialistic, selfish society around him. Sound familiar to... Our world in which we live in sometimes? A little bit, hey. Here we had a faithful, humble man of God who was given power, given influence, but he was placed in an environment that was screaming, hey, we don't need your God. Hey, we, we don't need God. You're all right. You don't need to bring that in here. Like, you can be the God of your own world. Don't worry about that. I've got to be honest. I, I feel for Solomon in this passage. Can anyone else relate? Maybe you're in an environment of success in here. Maybe you're in the marketplace and you're in an area where the world and the culture is relying on you to be relevant in order to be successful. Hard to make the right decision when you're in that kind of space, hey? For some of you young guys, hard to make the right decision when all your friends don't share the same convictions as you. Some would say it's easier just to sell out, compromise in order to fit in and to be successful, hey? Some would say it's just easier. But what I know church is that the normality of conforming to culture is just increasing and increasing and increasing and I'm not okay with it and I hope you're not okay with it. The standard of believers standing on the word of God is dropping. 
There's no doubt about that. So we need to decide who we truly want to be. We need to decide where do we fit in here. Because when I see Scripture, when I, when I see the words of Jesus, I see clearly. I see that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. That we carry authority and dominion here as sons of the living God. That even though this is not our home here, and, and, and you know, our, our, our flesh will diminish, our souls are going to prosper and remain, guys. And while we're here on earth, we are called to be outsiders with kingdom influence, to stand on the Word of God, yeah? So like King Solomon, we all have the opportunity. Do we ask for wisdom and do we obey or do we sell out and do we compromise? We all have the opportunity to decide. I hear uh, young people all the time, probably for the last 10 years I've probably heard young adults blame the devil or the enemy for placing them in positions where they've fallen. <laughs> like, oh, the devil put me there. That's why I stuffed up. or That's why I compromised. That's why I caved in. I've got to say, the enemy can't take any ground in your life for which you do not give him. You hold the keys. You hold the power. You hold all authority and dominion by the power and the grace of God within you. The Bible says there is always a way out from temptation. You always have an opportunity to walk the other way. Sometimes you've got to grit your teeth. Sometimes you've got to be strong. Sometimes you've got to choose not to compromise, right? I was just talking with a friend of mine uh, from St. Lucia, Lukey, the other day. We were just talking about the importance of spiritual disciplines. That God's grace, His love, His mercy, forgiveness is so, so good. Right? Like, like, it's too good to be true. I love talking about that stuff. But some of you, some of us, we need tough love in order to get us out of endless cycles that are killing us and killing us. Some of you guys are a cage and you feel like you're just being crippled because you're just wanting to just fit in. We need tough love. If someone has corrected you recently in a loving way because they genuinely care about the health of your well-being and your soul, praise God for that person. We need each other. Guys, we have the opportunity to do this with one another and fight this good fight of faith, but we need each other because we do really have the opportunity to live the greatest and best, most satisfying lifestyles, better than anything that the world can offer us. Hey, we need each other though. And you know what? Our lives should look different. They really should look different. There's got to be something different about a Christian's life that forces other people to ask questions. I was at the gym. I was actually at the gym the other day, and um, I met this, met this guy randomly. We just got chatting. He told me he was agnostic, and, and I told him I was a Christian. We had a really good chat about that, about the differences. And then he goes at the end, and he's like, bro, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 28. He's like, dear God. He's like, you're, you're 28? I thought you were 21. <laughs> I was like, geez, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but he said, <laughs> he said um, what skincare routine do you use? I said, I must be glowing. This is awesome. I said, I'm a man of God. I'm a Christian. If you get to know my God, you're going to have a baby face for the rest of your life. It's awesome. Come to church. But if, if, if you meet someone that has a different faith to you and they see the exact same character as you or maybe the lack thereof, they're just going to think your faith is just empty, mere religiosity. It's just mere religious behavior. That's why Peter urges us. He says, hey, you guys are called to be foreigners and exiles. And hey, abstain from the sinful desires that your flesh so wants because it wages war with what truly matters and what is truly important and the plans that I have for your life. I'm, I'm telling you guys, we, we, we got to be okay with sometimes being a little bit different. We got to be okay with it. Literally the next verse after that one where Peter says, you're called to be foreigners and exiles, that's 1 Peter 2. The next verse literally says, hey, let them see your good deeds and glorify God. You want to make a difference in the kingdom of God? Hey, 
you don't always need to preach to people. You don't always need to open up your Bible and, and, and talk about the theological pontification you know, of the resurrection and this and that. Hey, you just need to live questionable lives. Let your lives and your actions actually speak louder than your words sometimes. It's just as powerful. I really believe that we're called to preach. Absolutely. But I'm so convinced that the early church saw the results that they did because they were so convinced in the gospel, and they were so convinced of the Holy Spirit inside of them that they had to go live out a powerful life where the Holy Spirit moved in, in signs, miracles, and wonders. I truly believe it. But we're not supposed to just fit in. We're not supposed to just be the same and act the same as everyone else. Hey, guys, I'm not sure how much we hear that. It's not the most popular message, but it's real. God loves to use people who don't feel like they always fit in too countless stories in the Bible around people who didn't fit in, but God used them in powerful, miraculous ways. Man, I'm talking about guys like Moses and Gideon and Rahab and Matthew the tax collector. Oh, I love Matthew. Hey, have you guys seen The Chosen, actually? How good is The Chosen, hey? I love the way they've depicted Matthew's character. I feel like he's such a quirky, dorky, fun, funny kind of guy, but talk about not fitting in, right? What I love about these heroes of the faith and even some of the ones more recently, like your Billy Graham's, Martin Luther King is that they didn't necessarily fit into society. And they didn't try to fit in. They didn't compromise. They didn't sell out. They didn't give in. They endured. And you know what? They were okay with living outside of the status quo because they were given a word from God. And they weren't just given a word from God. They obeyed the word of God. Now, I'm not saying as outsiders, you know, we need to act different from the world just for the sake of acting weird and different. In fact, I can't stand it when Christians try to act different and radical just for the sake of being different. I feel like that's not effective in, in our faith and reaching people with the good news of the gospel. But what I'm saying is there is going to come a time, if we haven't seen some of it already, where we're going to need to be a bold church that stand on the Word of God. We need to be bold. One that doesn't compromise. One that's okay with sometimes being rejected. You know, I was watching a uh, a movie the other day, A Star is Born, and I feel like God spoke to me funny enough in a movie like that. But there was a scene, right? With, this is with Bradley Cooper. I don't know if you guys have seen it. And uh, Bradley Cooper was standing there outside with his wife, Allie, who was obviously, who just become really famous. And um, she's a big musician. And, and they were overlooking like the Los Angeles hinterland. And there was a big billboard there with Allie's name on it, kind of showing what she became. And Bradley Cooper turns to Allie and he says, hey, if you don't dig deep into your soul, you're going to lose your legs. If you don't stand for truth out there, you're going to absolutely lose yourself. The premise of this was that Ali was just caught up in who and what the world wanted her to be, that she lost what really mattered to her. She lost her true value and her satisfaction in why she loved doing music. And the reality is for some of us, we're going to be placed in uncomfortable spaces and situations where you're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to dig deep into your faith and your soul if you're going to continue giving God the glory of your life and your success. Guys, there's a line that we've got to be discerning of and aware of and wise with. Because if we cross that line sometimes in the world, we can so easily get caught up in the vortex of the corrupt society and world around us where they'll start to tell us who we are, not the words of God. We need to be so aware of that line there. My sister was actually uh, on The Voice a while ago as well. And um, in the early stages of the show, they actually tried to shape her and tell her who to be as well for the sake of entertainment. There was this big pop artist in culture at the time who looked a lot like her, and they said, hey, we want you to tell the world that you aspire to be like this pop artist. And my sister said, absolutely not. I don't, I don't want to be anything like her. And it's funny, she didn't get any further in the show. 
But you know, many will conform. Many will compromise. Many will sell out for the sake of money, riches, glory, and fame. Hey, And you know what? It never happens all of a sudden. It's always something small that you allow to seep into your life, that you allow to creep in, and it can fester, and it can stew and stew and stew, and next minute you don't know where you are or what you really believe in anymore. This is what happened with King Solomon. What did he do? He allowed the Pharaoh's daughter into his home, an ungodly pagan woman. By that decision, we know what happens next. She lured him into idolatries and worshiping other gods. Simple decision that he made, and the enemy grabbed it, and he used it, and he tried to destroy it. Well, he did. He destroyed his life. So how, I think an important question to talk about here is how do we engage in society then as outsiders or people who don't always fit in to the culture around us? What I want you guys to do in life groups this week, talk about this. Because there are some practicals that we're not going to have time to talk about right now, but it is a great conversation, especially some of the young adults in the room. Talk about what it's like to stand for the Word of God, stand in culture. How do we practically do this well? There's typically three types of Christians that we can see that engages in culture, or that often I think the world sees that we engage in culture. And number one, it's the settle-in Christian. That type of Christian who loves to just accept culture and just allow it to change, and they don't really care, they don't really stand for much, so they're happy to kind of fall for whatever, and they're not really making a difference out in the world, you know, following the Great Commission or even our mission statement to influence our world. Number two is the proclaimed war Christian, the fire and brimstone Christian that loves to tell everyone around them that, they're sinners and they need to repent and judgment day is coming and they love to stand on boxes in the middle of the city and preach truth, but really there's no love there, so it's not really truth. And they're angry at the world and at the bloggers and at the keyboard warriors. That's the proclaim war Christian. We love them. Number three is the bunker down Christian, the hide and run away type of believer that loves to stay in their little safe space with their little Christian thing and their little Christian community and their home and their church and they're afraid to go out into the real world because they think the real world's going to pollute them. They're just afraid and happy to just sit and just hide. They're ashamed. They're scared. Which one's correct? I'll let you decide if you think one, but I believe there is a fourth that actually models the heart of a loving father to a lost and broken world. And I believe it's the faithful presence type of Christian. The Christian that is calm, that is uncompromising, that is faithful, that is passionate. They have this faithful presence about them wherever they go. They're a type of Christian that is ready for God to use them in any given moment. They're one that is wise, one that uses discernment, one that is prayerful throughout their day, one that is very aware of culture because they're in it and they're ready to influence it. They're not afraid of it, but they're so uncompromising and they're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done in and through their lives. Guys, I really believe that God can use us in a multitude of miraculous and supernatural ways. We can do this thing well. We can engage in the world, but not be of the world. We can be Holy Spirit-led believers with a faithful presence about us wherever we go. When I look at the disciples, when I look at Jesus, when I look at guys like the Apostle Paul, I see that there was always something so magnetic that drew them, that drew people to them. They, were, they, had, they held very normal conversations, but they always saw the power of God flow through them. They loved fellowship with one another. They loved hanging out, but they didn't just stay there in their little holy huddles. No, they went out into the world. They went out into the streets. They actually spent more time out in the streets than they did the synagogues. That's the word for some of us in here. They held such a life-giving message that people were so desperate to hear it. They loved people so well. They worked hard. They saw people healed. They took captive of every opportunity that the Holy Spirit put in their way. The Apostle Paul, what is the Bible? The Bible says that he became like a Greek to reach the Greek. 
He became like a Jew to reach the group. He actually met people on their level. He didn't just hang around people like him. He went into the world and he actually sat with people. He wanted to know their story so he could reach them and so he could love them well. The Bible says that he became all things to all people in order to reach him. What a beautiful picture, guys. What a beautiful picture if our church looked like that, hey. But what we got to remember is not everybody like these guys. Hey, and Paul got beaten. We know what happened to Jesus. Not everyone liked him. We're going to be okay when the world rejects us for what we stand on. Hey, we're going to be okay with it. No compromising. So how do we remain? How do we not compromise in this world? Well, honestly, I think we've got to ask for wisdom like what Solomon did. And, and, and I think we've got to abide in the Father. This is all I, I've got, guys, and then we're closing just a second. Hey, we've got to ask for wisdom, and we need to abide in the Father. I believe from what I've seen in Scripture, to even my own faith journey so far, to what we see in Solomon's story here, it's that we need wisdom, and we need to abide closely and remain around the things of God and remain in the Father. Yeah. Number one, ask for wisdom, because we've got to cry out, God, we desperately need you. Teach us. Show us how we can discern right from wrong and how we can pursue wisdom in all things. The Bible says Solomon prayed a prayer. God, I want discernment. I want wisdom. And God gave it to him. Hey, if you lack wisdom in here, James tells us that if you lack it, hey, God, God's gracious to give it. I ask for wisdom. God is generous and gracious to give us wisdom. Number two, abide in the Father. Jesus says, hey, remain in me, and I and you, and you're going to bear much fruit. Jesus couldn't have been more obvious here, guys. He says, hey, the closer you draw to me, the more, the more you'll know me, the more you'll find me, the more you'll seek me, the more you'll understand me, the more I'll actually be able to bring revelation to your life, the more that I'll actually be able to lead and shepherd and guide your life, you're going to bear more fruit. If you're new in here and, and you're like, uh, what is this word fruit? Are we talking about apples and oranges? <laughs> I remember the first time I heard Christians using that word all the time. I was like, what, do you, what does fruit mean? I looked up the Greek before I came, and the Greek word for fruit actually means, in its original context, it means kapos, which actually means life of the heart. Wow. Jesus, abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much life of the heart. I want some of that, hey. I'm passionate about this topic, guys, because for so long in, in my teen years, coming into my young adulthood, I sat on the line right in the middle where I was in the world and I was of the world. And I tell you what, I, I'm sick of seeing brothers and sisters in the faith just fall out, sell out, give up, give in just for the sake of not fitting in. God to be stronger than that. I got news for us too. I, I don't think it's getting any easier. It's not getting any easier. And so we've got to dig deep. We've got to dig deep into our faith. We've got to dig deep into healthy foundations. We've got to dig deep into community and church and place ourselves in great spaces of teaching like this house so that we've got those healthy, strong foundations there. Are you hearing me? Because let me tell you, storms are going to come. If you haven't experienced storms already, they're going to come. And if you're, the Bible talks about if our house or our soul doesn't have the foundations that we need, storms are going to come, guys, and the winds are going to come, and they're just going to blow you right over. That's not okay. We've got, to, we've got to be strong. We've got to be courageous. But I, I owe it to you to tell you to go after healthy foundations in your faith. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. You know, one thing I learned from studying this book in 1 Kings was that King Solomon was always wise when it came to leading the nation of Israel. He made some good calls. Like, I would have loved to sit under the leadership of King Solomon. But where did he lack wisdom? In the home. It was his wives, right? That took them the wrong direction. Maybe this is a word just for some of the leaders and pastors, life group leaders in the room, but 
We've got to remember, even though our ministries might look awesome out here, might be flourishing, you can very often miss the point in the home. Hey, maybe you're your businessman or woman in the room here tonight. Your business could be going awesome out here. But hey, don't forget the importance of the home being healthy. We don't want to give the enemy anything. Health has to start in the home. And Solomon had it all. Solomon was gifted wisdom, didn't he? But he didn't always act upon it. See, wisdom has got to be both the ability to, to discern what is right, but then you've got to have the faith and the strength of character to actually act upon that knowledge, church. Yeah? If some of you guys have made some mistakes in, in the room, you've compromised a couple of times, I want to say it, it's okay. A bit of a grace note here. I hope this makes you feel better. We've got to remember that this bloke, King Solomon, he made so many mistakes. He stuffed up, but he's still known as one of the richest and wisest kings Israel's ever seen. So if you've made some mistakes in the room, you've dropped the ball, you've compromised a couple of times, maybe you haven't been putting God first in your life, I want to say it's okay. It's not over for you. Absolutely not over for you. We've got to remember, Solomon went on to write the book of Proverbs, or the majority of Proverbs, hey, which we love. We quote Proverbs all the time, don't we? We love it. It's like the book of like golden wisdom nuggets. Like we love that book, hey. He also went on to write Ecclesiastes, which if you've read it before, you know, it talks about life being meaningless without God. And, and he actually wrote it in his older age because he wanted to spare future generations of making the same mistake that he made. That life apart from God was better. Nah. Nah, if you've read it, you would know that he shouts from the rooftops that everything apart from God is meaningless. And we know that Solomon had it all. He had money, riches, fame. He had the girls. He had everything. And he still says at the very end of his life, he says, nothing, nothing is worth the joy of knowing God and allowing Him to lead your life. Nothing's worth, nothing's better. I want to encourage some of you guys, if you've had a, a bad experience in life, the pain of life has come or pain of a bad decision has gotten the middle or gotten the way of you loving and serving and standing for truth, I want to say don't allow it to. Don't allow feeling like an outsider or like you don't fit in or like a, lonely, a loner, like keep you from remaining faithful to God. I spent so many Saturday nights in my faith journey when I first became a Christian. I remember like trying to run away from what I was doing previously. And I spent so many nights at home with my parents Saturday nights because I didn't want to compromise anymore and follow what my friends were doing. But it was okay because God brought the right friends in at the right time. It's just a small little season. I want to encourage you to do the same. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.